Yo, yo, yo. What is going on? Welcome to episode 12 of the Been There, Done That podcast. Good to be back after a week off. Had some things going on last week. Schedule got a little full, but we're back. And we're ready to get after it. Talk about what's going on in the world of sports, right? That's what this is all about. Um, Things on the docket this week, things we're going to talk about. I'm going to give a little recap on where I was last week, what I was doing. We'll uh, we'll give a recap on March Madness, both on the men's and women's side of the bracket. Um, lots of good storylines on both sides, and we'll we'll give we'll put a bow on it. Uh, I'm going to look back at the first week of the MLB season, what's been going on in the world of baseball, and then we'll finish finish up with the office quote of the week, like normal. All right, might be a little bit of a shorter episode today. Um, and a lot of that has to do with right now the the time in the NFL calendar year where the NFL is kind of the driving force, kind of the the big dog in sports talk, and we are in a time where free agency has slowed down and the draft hasn't started, and there's obviously no games going on, so there's not a whole lot to talk about in the NFL world. I think we'll we'll probably be on standby here for a couple of weeks until a draft in which you know when that time comes, there's going to be a lot more to talk about. But right now we have March Madness, obviously, that just wrapped up. There's uh, baseball just starting. NBA playoffs are starting soon. We'll talk some more about that when that gets going. And then there's also the Masters this weekend. And we may jump into that a little bit next week. Um, But for right now, I want to tell you where I was last weekend. Because I'm sure most of you who are listening to this right now were, were probably wondering... You're probably asking yourself, self, where was Ben last week? Why was there no episode of Been There, Done That? Why, why was there no episode posted? Well, that's a great question, and I'll tell you why. I was out of town. I spent the last week, not not the whole week, the second half of the week in Branson um, for what was Leadership Weekend, also known as Coaches Conference. Um in preparation for this upcoming summer, right? So that for those of you who don't know, um, during the summer, I work for Canica Camps, and I am a site director for one of the the teams that I'm on, or the team that I'm on, I should say, and so this weekend was a time where we get the leadership teams all kind of come together and have a weekend to, you kind of see the team that you're on. Um, get to know them, do some team building stuff, and just kind of a good time to prep for for the summer that's ahead. A lot, kind of just mentally of kind of laying out here. Here's what the summer's going to look like. Here's what to expect, and then having a lot of fun as well. And it was it was a very fun weekend. So that's where I was last week. Um, and like I said, it was a really fun weekend. Uh, it, it was one of those weekends where it was it was kind of nonstop. You know, mornings or. At, in the morning, we're starting by 8.30, and there are some nights we're not done until after 10. <laughs> you know, it is very much a full weekend, very full days and, and stuff, but I say that, it, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it was all fun stuff, exciting stuff, and I have one little story that was kind of a f- interesting, I don't know, I guess story, I'm trying to think of another word, Interesting, interesting thing that happened to me. I think on Friday afternoon, I believe, I, bl- I think it was, you actually know it may have been Saturday, Saturday afternoon, there was, 
we, we were finishing up a pickleball tournament for our team, our camp out team as, um, we were, we we're up having a pickleball tournament and we finished it up and we had about 30, 45 minutes before we were going to head over to, to, to dinner. And I don't know why out of nowhere, I just kind of, my stomach started hurting. I just did not feel right. I don't know what it was. And so I, I left and, and went and just sat in my car for like 20, 25, 30 minutes or so and rolled the windows down, leaned the seat back and just kind of laid there and tried to just rest a little bit in the car. And for whatever reason, I was just not feeling right. And so I went, I, I got out and went and told, um, and said, I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to my place and lay down for a little bit. And even in this doing so, just getting up out of the car and standing up to going to tell someone I was leaving, it felt like I was going to throw up. Just standing up and walking was like, I was like, oh boy, I don't know what's going on, but I, I felt like I was going to throw up and I still don't really know what it was. So I did that and I managed to get back in my car before I threw up and I, I drove back to my place and I just lay down and took like an hour and a half nap, um, woke up had myself a little dinner, made some tacos, <laughs> some bake, some baked, some oven, not ovenable. That's not a word. I put some tacos in the oven, cooked them right up and had those. And then I felt fine. I don't, it was like the, the nap just fixed me right up. I, I really don't know what was going on because it had been over four hours since I'd eaten when my stomach started hurting. But all, all that to say, I, uh, I took a nap and woke up and I was fine. I think it's it's what the the kids these days call a rally. You know? And so because I I woke up like like I said had 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 a little late dinner and then went back to the the nightly activities which included a silent disco, which if you've never done that, it is incredibly fun. It's like a a dance party but you have three different channels and three different DJs that are running it and you can move the channels to whatever you want in the headphones. And if you've ever done that, you know, it is a lot of fun. It's a bunch of jumping up and down and dancing. It's a great time. So very active doing that. And then I followed that up with some late night basketball at one of the courts at camp. And so I went from, I couldn't even stand up and walk at 4.30 to by 8 o'clock, I was, had just eaten four tacos, went and had a dance party and then played basketball again for another hour and a half. And then I look up and it's, it's 12.30 you know, I'm, I'm leaving camp by, by midnight and getting back at 1230. So I'm not getting to bed till really late. Uh, but it was funny. It was just, a, it was really weird. It was, but I guess, you know, it was, it was a good rally and we got, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, and it was one of those weekends where I'm just, I kind of like, I, I made the decision, like, you know what? Sleep is probably the one thing that I'm going to be short on. I'm going to, cause I'm with people I like, I'm doing stuff that I like. I'm having a good time. I'm having fun. So I'll, uh, I'll catch up on sleep when I get back home next week, and, and that's what we did. So I didn't didn't get a whole lot of sleep this weekend, but that's okay because it was it was a very good time and it, it got me excited. Looking forward to camp, which is like a month and a half away, which is kind of crazy. But so yeah, that's that's where I was last week. Um, luckily, there wasn't really a ton of stuff to talk about. Again, kind of same last week. There was we're in the middle of the March Madness, so there was some stuff here and there, but. Really, nothing like major groundbreaking stuff. Uh, but that being said, I do want to spend some time talking about March Madness and some of what's going on right now. 
And as, as you know by now, UConn has won the national championship. And it was, I mean, they won pretty easily. It really wasn't even all that close, you know. And so I find that it's it's interesting where, because now with UConn, I'm going to try to find the stats on this. I think UConn since 1995 or 98, something along those lines, they have five national championships. And I, and I believe... I heard they I think they're 9 and 1 in the final four in that in that span. Right? And so it's a we're in a spot now. Yeah, there it is. I just found it. National championship since 1999. Yukon has 5, Duke and North Carolina have 3, Florida, Kansas and Villanova have 2, and then a handful of other teams have 1. And so we're in a spot now. I think we we have to have a conversation about is Yukon a blue blood, right? I think the, the teams that are traditionally, that we look at as Blue Bloods are Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, UCLA, and you could maybe throw in Indiana and Michigan State into that mix as well. However, I, I would argue that UConn has to be thrown in there now as well. Uh, just for the sake of how, when they make the tournament and they make a deep run, like they seem to always find a way to win the national championship. And they have... And they've been doing. They've done it with three different coaches over those five, those five with those five titles, which is kind of unprecedented, really. When you think about that, it was Jim Calhoun won a couple, and then Kevin Ollie won in 2014, and now, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, what is it? I am blanking at the moment. Dan Hurley, that's it. Now Dan Hurley here in, in 2023. So the fact that. UConn has had three different coaches win championships in in the last you know 25 years in the, in the last quarter century. It, it's pretty significant, right? And it is more you know like I said, the next closest is a couple of teams that have two championships. And I, I've been listening around on radios shows and podcasts over the last few days and have people having this argument on like on whether or not UConn is a blue blood at this point and I think given the the nature of how a lot of sports arguments go these days it's a lot you know it people uh, how do I say this I want to make sure I word this right I think we have shifted into a a world where if you aren't winning championships you're failing Right and and to be honest with you, I think a lot of that stems from the Jordan versus LeBron debate, where people watch both Michael Jordan and LeBron, and they know that LeBron's better. Like we 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 everything that we're watching us about the way they play basketball and the things they've accomplished point to LeBron being better, but Michael Jordan has a better Finals record, and so I think the arguments have now become skewed in a way that we want to frame it so that we can. You know, we can argue that winning the championship is more important than anything else, which I agree in a team sport it is. But when you're when you're having discussions about you know the, these other hypotheticals on who's better is a team of blue but a blue blood, um, things like that, where there's more that goes into it. All right. So what what I'm getting at here is you have team a team like Kansas that I don't have the number off the top of my head, but they've they haven't missed the tournament in like 30 plus years, like just. It's been forever. I mean, I've never seen KU not be in the tournament in my lifetime, you know, and 
and Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky, I think all kind of fit there with like, they, they'll have a down year occasionally. It doesn't really necessarily equate to them missing the tournament. You know, they may be an eight or nine seed, something like that. Um, where, but those teams are, it seems like at least every two, three, four years they're, they're in the championship or in the final four as like such a, just a dominant team at Villanova, you know, I'd throw Villanova in there too. The things that Jay Wright did, um, they could they could be on the the fringe of being a, a blue blood team as well. But the the big thing so with Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, those teams are all every couple of years they may fall to a seven, eight, nine seed, but then you, you can count on them to make the final four in a championship, you know, again every two, three, maybe four years. And then a team like Kansas that hasn't missed the tournament in thirty plus years and they'll make the final four every four or five years and, you know, they have two championships in the last fifteen years. Right? So and just uh, those those type of programs that have great history, right? And so the issue that we have now with UConn is they don't necessarily make the tournament even every like they, the reason they've had three different coaches over the last twenty five years is because they they've had years, you know, it, when it, their down year isn't like Kentucky, you know, being a nine seed. Or North Carolina being an eight seed, things like that. That that's their down years are them missing the tournament and them just not being good, right? And so that's where it gets into man. Can they really be a blue blood if they're not? If we can't count on them to to be in the tournament every year, let alone be you know competitive like that every year. And it, that's where the argument gets kind of tricky. Um, and it's of course from what i've heard from people from KU fans from Kentucky fans Duke from the 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 fans of those schools that are blue bloods they're all saying no UConn's not a blue blood uh, and you know grant i would expect that from the fan of that cuz you wanted to keep your your own team in a you know in a more exclusive club if you will but i think if we're being honest UConn has to be put in there UConn has to be considered a blue blood at this point right because at the end of the day, this goes back to what I'm saying about the championships. You know, if if we're gonna carry on with this argument that if if we're not winning the championship, then the season's a failure. Right? If that's the only way we're gonna measure success in in the world of sports today, then UConn is the number one blue blood right now. Right? If we look at the last quarter century, then they are the standard of college of what it looks like to to be a college basketball team. Because if we're having this discussion of, you know, are they missing, like they may have missed the tournament, but how is that any different than KU losing in the second round to Arkansas or you and I or any, insert any other second round loss KU has in that time span, right? Same thing with Duke, losing to Lehigh in the first round, losing to Mercer in the first round. Like these things happen. And, and if we're, so how is it that big of a difference you know, from one team being a blue blood to not like if KU is going to lose in, in the second round in the round of 32, I, I, I'm not sure how that's that much different for, for the, the overall outlook of the season than it, like than not making the tournament. Like, sure. You had one team that was clearly much better and they, they had, they got upset. Like, again, these things happen, but at the end of the day, if we're, if again, if we're going to measure it based on championship pedigree on how often the teams like when they're good when they're at their best they make the final four and they win championships UConn is number one on the list in in modern college basketball you know in, in this century they're number one on that list right and so 
I just think we got to be honest with ourselves. If if we're gonna if we're gonna hold college basketball to the same standard that we hold everything else, uh, with the idea that championships are the only thing that matters and nothing else matters, then they are without without a doubt they're a blue blood. Now, me personally, I don't necessarily love that uh, that, that that standard because I think you can have a really good season, obviously, and not win the championship. It's possible. Um, and that, that some of that does go back to the Jordan-LeBron debate, and I think that's kind of where all this stems from. But at the end of the day, UConn, you know, they, they've they shown time and again when they, have a, they put a good team together, they can figure things out, and they're going to be in a good spot to win the championship. Now, here's the interesting thing about UConn from the season is of, like, they won every single game in the tournament they played by double digits. Like, they, there really was not... It didn't feel like there was any competitive game they played the whole time. Granted, they didn't play anyone higher than a... Or, I guess I should say, anyone lower than a five seed the whole tournament, I don't believe. Outside of Gonzaga, they played, who's a three seed. Um, I mean, who else did they play? I'm trying to remember. They play, I mean, they just played San Diego State and Miami... We're both five seeds. They beat Gonzaga was the three. I'm trying to remember their, their Sweet 16 matchup. I guess it would have been Arkansas, right? So, yeah, I mean, they, they haven't really played any any top two seeds. They, they, they beat Gonzaga. And so, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like, sure, they didn't beat anyone great, but, but that's just how the tournament works. You play who's on your schedule. I get that. And, and March Madness usually... By the time you get to the final four, like the, those are the hottest teams in the country, and they're there for a reason. And so you usually get more competitive games. All right. So kind of what I'm getting at here is that UConn. This was it was one of the most dominant tournament runs we've ever seen. Right. Like I mean, they just they looked like it pr- was pretty easily, like pretty easy for them to just kind of walk through the tournament. But at the same time, I'm not sure I would put them in like a all-time great team category right they when you look at some of the things that happened during the the regular season which uh, again i know it's not as important as the tournament obviously but they had some rough losses there in the middle they finished i think fourth in the big east you know um it's not like a one of those dominant kentucky or kansas or north carolina teams that go you know 35 and 2 and and win the championship and even though some games are closer, uh, I the thing about UConn, like, can can any realistically, can anyone, can you, if you're listening to this right now, can you name one player on UConn? Because I, I I tried, I, I was trying to keep this honest, and I'm trying to, and I, I didn't want to look up any players' names, and like, if I'm being honest right now, I couldn't tell you a player, uh, like a, a a player on UConn right now, just off the top of my head. I would have to look it up, and I watched four of their games in the tournament, you know. Granted, I didn't always have the the commentators speaking or the because I was doing two things at once. I was kind of multitasking. But the the point I'm getting at is UConn didn't really have any stars. Like there's there's no one that that's like oh I've got to turn on the game right now to watch UConn, right? When you have a team that's dominant, I think it almost has the reverse effect, where it's like I mean yeah UConn's gonna win. I know that. What so it, people kind of lose interest, and, and I think we saw that in the ratings from from what I've seen the ratings and on the men's side of the tournament were pretty low, right? And so, I don't know. It's Of course, it's great for UConn. Happy for them that they won the championship and won it in pretty easy, boring fashion. 
but at the end of the day, it's the, the ratings were way down because, I mean, we look at the Final Four. On one hand, it's interesting, all the teams that made it, right, to have Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, uh, Miami, and UConn, four teams, or I guess I should say three of the four teams have, have little to no experience there at all, and and you don't have a nationwide, you know, fan interest in that, and so on one hand, it should it should feel like, yeah, all the under, underdogs are making it, we, we want to watch them play, but at the, at the end of the day, the ratings tell us, like, people just didn't really care about that, like, people, although, you know, San Diego State and Florida Atlantic was as good of a finish as you could have had, all right, San Diego State, they hit a, a game-winning shot to send them to the championship game, yet the ratings were still low because people just weren't all that interested in either one of those teams, okay, so it is, it's a weird spot that college basketball is in where it's like, we love seeing the, the upsets and the early rounds and the crazy stuff happen, but at the end of the day, people still want to see the blue bloods. They want to see the big names, the big big time coaches in the Final Four in the championship. And so, yeah, it was it was an interesting dynamic of what's going on right now. And I and that actually kind of leads into the next thing I was wanting to talk about with what's going on in college basketball, where again we're, we saw four teams that are not you know, or again I'll say three teams that are not your traditional powerhouse type of teams teams that maybe not even the tournament every year um and they they went on these great runs and again we've talked about it a couple weeks ago part of the the shifting landscape of college basketball has a lot to do with you know the one and done era in college basketball is kind of on the tail end which i think a lot of people are happy about but it's also not still not necessarily you get one guy who stays with a school all four years right it's a lot of the transfer portal is, is what's really changing everything where you, you have a guy who plays maybe in a mid-major for two or three years and then then you they they transfer somewhere else, somewhere like San Diego State, somewhere like Florida Atlantic, whatever it might be. And and we we're seeing that senior leadership, that experience, even though even if it was only in a mid-major, there's something about a twenty-two-year-old playing against an eighteen and nineteen-year-old who may be more talented. But if you've got a collection, a group of 22, 21, 22 year olds, you are like more often than not, you're going to have success against a group, a group of more talented 18 and 19 year olds. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And so because of that, because of the NIL, the name, image and likeness and, and the transfer portal and everything that's going on in college basketball, I, I kind of feel like we may be headed in that direction, right? Which it's interesting because last year we had a, I mean, it was duke north carolina kansas villanova in the final four we had blue bloods right teams we're used to seeing and then this year it was a 180 right teams we're not used to seeing and so i am i am interested to see over the next couple of years what the final fours look like you know what type of teams are making it and if if we're still if we are really headed in, in another direction in terms of it is the tournament it is really going to be as hard as it has ever been to predict um, and it kind of feels like that, given that we've had 15 seeds one that have won three years in a row, that we've now had two 16 seeds win in the in the last five years. You know that it feels like the 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 shift is going on right now in college basketball, and I I don't know. I have a hard time saying whether or not it would be good for the game um, because again, you I, I to take Missouri for example, right? They they had a terrible year last year. And they were 
really good this year. Good as in, like, they, they got to a seven seed, and, of course, the season ended in a disappointing way, but they were miles better than they were last year. The fact that they even made the tournament and won a game in the tournament. But still, as a Missouri fan, the, the fact that almost the whole team were transfers and new guys, like, it took me a month or two of watching them to figure out and learn who the guys were, you know, learn what, what they were about, learn who, was, who were the really good players on the team, things like that. And I think p- part of that, that we experienced that a lot with the one-and-done era of college basketball, but I think we're still ex- experiencing that in the transfer portal, you know, of, man, I don't really know the guys that are on the team, and by the time I figure it out, it's already mid-January, and there's only a month and a half until the tournament anyway, and then I won't ever see him play again. And so, on one hand, it's good for the game and like, in terms of getting teams that you're that we're not familiar with, that more teams have an opportunity to make deep runs in the postseason, and in that sense, it's good. But on the other hand, there there's not the same connection, you know, that that you would have with a, a team, or with or with a player, or even with a rivalry like we like we would even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you know. So, I don't know. It is a, it's an interesting dynamic, an interesting, um, you know, thing, just stuff that's going on within college basketball, and I'm, we'll see what the next couple of years look like to see if we're really pivoting, or if it, if this year would just happen to be an anomaly and we get back to having the blue bloods back in it next year. So we shall see, and that's the men's side. On the women's side. Man, this was uh, this was interesting. I, I'll, I'll be totally honest, and I mean this with all respect. I was not, you know, at no point did I go into this podcast thinking like I'm gonna probably spend a whole lot of time talking about the women's college basketball. Just right, um, it's just not something I had ever really gotten into. Um, but I think there was a few very fascinating things going on in this year's tournament that I wanted to talk about. Number one, the the ratings for the women's tournament went up like it skyrocketed this year it just about doubled right i've got the numbers in front of me that this year there were 9.9 million people that that watched the national championship this year right and to put that into perspective uh, i saw this on twitter that the at least in terms of college football comparisons like 9.9 million viewers uh, is more than last year's sugar bowl orange bowl cotton bowl uh, Big 12, Pac-12, ACC title games, the Notre Dame-USC game, LSU-Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, uh, Bama versus Texas A&M, you know, primetime on CBS. The, the Women's College Basketball Championship had more viewers than all of those games, right? And if you would have told me that before the Women's Tournament or at any point during football season, I wouldn't have believed you. But this was maybe this was absolutely the highest-rated women's tournament ever, and... And I think the biggest reason for that was Caitlin Clark, um, the girl from Iowa, who went on an absolute tear through this through this year's tournament. You know, she uh, quite honestly, she's the biggest name in college basketball, men's or women's, right now. Um, she was really unstoppable um, the whole tournament, and that in itself, having a, a polarizing player like that in itself, that people want to see, you know, and ESPN being able to market that to say, Hey, you gotta, you gotta, you can't miss this player. You can't miss Caitlin Clark right now. Like, um, I think there's something to that. You know, she had all types of things going on, such as like the, I think it was the first ever 40 point triple double in the tournament for a woman. Um, just, I I don't don't remember all the crazy stuff off the top of my head, but she was just doing things that we'd never seen before. 
Um, and what's great for, for women's college basketball is that she's only a junior. And because of, I think because of the COVID eligibility year or something along that, she could, she has the potential to come. She's for sure coming back next year, but she has another year of eligibility after that if she wants it. So the reality is Caitlin Clark could be here for another two seasons, which is, is kind of wild, you know, given how good she is, how dominant she was this season. That's great for, for women's college basketball. Um, and for the ratings that, that are going to keep in, that are going to keep jumping up. Right. Um, and so the, the, the other thing that was going on in the women's tournament uh, happened in the championship game when Iowa was playing LSU. And there was a, a thing going on at the end of the game that has had, it's you know, some people have been kind of up in arms about. And I kind of wanted to touch on it a little bit. Where, so what happened was there there's a girl on LSU, her name's Angel Reese, and she, you know, once the game was pretty much wrapped up against Iowa, which, if, if you weren't aware, LSU beat Iowa pretty handily in the tournament or in the championship game. And Angel Reese is a player on LSU, and she kind of followed Caitlin Clark around a little bit at the end of the game. Of like once it was basically wrapped up, and they knew the game was gonna, there was only a little bit of time left. She kind of followed her and gave her the the you can't see me the hand gesture like the john cena thing waving her hand across her face you can't see me and then pointed to her ring finger you know sig- signaling like hey we got a ring now where's your ring All right and so it was a little over the top it, it's one thing to you know if you're standing on the free throw line and you're you're jawing back back and forth a little hers you know the fact that she kind of she was following caitlin clark around i think there's a lot of people that were pretty upset by it and, and man, again, I want to be careful on, on my word choice here, but I think there, there was an element of this, whether we realize it or not, um, that had racial implications and because Angel Reese is black and I think the sight of Angel Reese, you know, being kind of over the top and a, a bit, a little bit of not obnoxious and getting in the face of Caitlin Clark you know, taunting her, you know, on the surface for a lot of people who were just, that's the only thing they saw. It didn't sit right. And whether they realized it or not, it was an issue and they didn't like they for them that didn't look right. I think there's an element of that. I think there's also an element of we just as a society kind of see the women in sports and just assume that they should be more quiet, more reserved, that they shouldn't be, you know, obnoxious or i don't want to use that word just like going crazy and um what's the word i'm looking for just super emotional about winning and losing and getting into the games like that and i think again whether we realize it or not i think it's more of a subconscious understanding that some some people in america that we have of like oh the women should be more should have more class and they they shouldn't be over the top emotional about their games the way that men get sometimes you know and so, so all these things are going on and people, there were some people that were pretty upset about it. And what I don't think a lot of people knew it at the time, I think it's, it's circulated now more, more well than it had been at the time. But Caitlin Clark did the exact same thing to, to a player the previous round, right? Whether it was in the final four or the elite eight, she had done it less than a week prior where 
she had just basically hit a dagger, hit a game-winning shot. Not a game-winning shot, but basically put the game away for her team. And she did the same thing to the best player on the other team, where she hit the, the little, you can't see me, the, with her hand, and and kind of gave her that that treatment. The, you know, the trash talk, the, the little bit of taunting going on. And no one had really seen that or seemed to care about that until Angel Reese turned around and, and gave it back to Caitlin Clark. Right, and that's where we get in. You know, there's some people that are saying it's totally racially motivated, which I don't think that's the case. Uh, you know, I think there's people have had reactions that are, I think a lot of it's subconscious. Like you may not, you know, I don't know. I, I can't speak into the minds of people and what they're thinking and why they're upset about it. But there, there is something there that you know, Caitlin Clark did it, and no one batted an eye. You know, and then Angel Reese does it. And there are people that are kind of up in arms, that are people upset about it. Now, granted, uh, Angel Reese did have, she was a little bit more over the top about it and kind of almost followed her around for for a little second there, for a few seconds of just kind of making sure she knew, you know. But I think we just got to chill out, you know. (laughs) I mean, this is, this is, I think this is being made into way bigger of a deal than it should be. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about it here because I, I, of course it's, it's great for women's sports. It's great for women's basketball that there is a, I guess you could call it a rivalry kind of budding because Angel Reese as well is only a junior. She's going to be back next season. And so you have these two players, you know, not only is Caitlin Clark, the best player in the country who went on this tear, she's coming back, but Angel Reese was also an AP all American in women's college basketball this year. So two of the best players in the country are have this this rivalry that are that's kind of budding right now and they're both coming back. And I'm like, that is that's great news for women's college basketball. Um, and the, the storylines and the, the people are gonna want to follow that. They're gonna they're gonna want to see what that how that shapes up next year, you know, how that turns out. So uh, you know, I think we just gotta relax. I, I think there's there's a place for, I don't want to call it unsportsmanship for bad sportsmanship. We, you don't ever want that, but within professional sports and I guess even collegiate sports at that level, like there's going to be an element of people don't like each other. You know, that's, that's a good thing. You, you want, we want to have athletes that, that don't like each other. Right. That's part of, I don't know. Again, I hate to bring it back to Jordan LeBron again, but again, that, that I I find myself doing that because I hear things all the time of like, man, back back in my day or back in the day, Michael Jordan and all those people they hated each other. They didn't get along. They were rivals. He would never join them, right? And so if if we're going to complain about the way that the sports are today, how everybody's friends, you know, they play on AAU teams together, then and they get to the NBA and they're good friends. All right, if we're going to complain about that, then let's not complain. When there's there's things like this, like that that rivalries happen and, and players get in each other's faces a little bit and they, they jaw back and forth, like as long as it's not nothing, you know, that you're not really attacking anyone, you know, like going after someone personally or their family or you're not making any any physical altercation out of it, like we should be encouraging, like we, this should be looked at as a good thing. Like there's some jawing back and forth, right? And I, and I, I say that too, because Caitlin Clark, when interviewed about it was, was kind of like, she said the same thing. It's like, she, she recognized she did the same thing a couple games before and, 
And that's just part of the game. Like if you're going to dish it out, you got to be able to take it, you know? And I, and I think back to Tyreek Hill in the, the Chiefs Super Bowl against the Buccaneers, right? What do we know about Tyreek Hill whenever he burns the whole defense? What does he like to do? He th- throw up the peace sign. Say, I'm faster than you. I ran by you. You're not going to catch me. Deuces, right? And and the moment I'll never forget from that Super Bowl when there was a fourth down incompletion, I believe, and Tampa Bay got the ball back and that was basically it. Antoine Winfield Jr. got right up in his face and hit him with a peace sign, right? And that that's sports. That's just the nature of it. That's how it goes. And we got to... We, we, we should be okay with that, right? Um, I don't know, man. So I, I'm just, I don't, yeah. We, uh, I think we got to chill out a little bit. And if we're being on, again, if we're, as, if we're going to continue to do this thing where all, all of our sports arguments are stemmed from the Jordan LeBron debate, <laughs> if we want to do that, then, then we got to do it, you know? And, and we, we just shouldn't get upset when players get emotional and they, and they, don't really like each other, you know, because in a way that's good for the sport. When, when you have that extra added motivation of like, this is a rivalry, this is a player that I don't like them, you know, and not that it's really anything personal, but it's just one of those like, man, I, I, I've got to beat this player. When you have that, when you have rivalries like that, it's it makes so much more entertaining, you know, as fans, we get to watch a much better product when when you have that added element in there. When the emotions are high, that's what we want to see, right? So that is all I have for March Madness, both the men's and women's side. It is it's going to be interesting next year to see again what I talked about with the men's. Uh, you know what's going on with that side of like, is there going to be any team that we are clinging onto? Like, you know, if Bronny James. If he, depending on where he decides to play, uh, could be a pretty big deal. And we might be following him around on, on what's going on with him. But if not, um, it may be kind of similar to this year. There's not going to be a an overwhelmingly dominant team. And we'll get to the tournament and we'll miss every single pick. Our brackets are going to be terrible. We'll have a final four with teams that we weren't expecting to make it there at all. And... You know, and meanwhile, on the women's side, we're going to have Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese, who are going to, I mean, both those teams are going to be great again next year because of the big, big, a big part of that because of those players. And so I think I I would not be surprised to see the the women's college basketball, the ratings and the, the, just the general interest in women's basketball go up next year and not, maybe not totally reach the men, but I think that we, I would not be surprised to see the gap shrink next year when within the next couple of years. So that is March Madness. Um, moving on now to the MLB week one recap. Uh, it was, I think there, there's one main storyline to, to follow right now, which is the pitch clock, which, you know, they've, They've tried out the minor leagues in the past couple of seasons, last year at least for sure, and then in the preseason, you know, in, in spring training. And everywhere I've looked, from every interview I've heard, all the reactions, I think the pitch clock is an absolute home run. Like it is just across the board, everybody loves it, right? The, I'm looking at the numbers here, the, Within the first, 
you know, through last Sunday. So opening day was a, a week ago, like uh, on Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, so four days of, of data in, in games showed us that the games are now averaging two hours and 38 minutes, okay, with the pitch clock. And last year, the first four days of the 2022 season, in that same time span, the, the, the average game time was three hours and eight minutes. And it was, by the end of the year, it was three hours and four minutes, so not a huge difference. But you think about the, the average game time has gone down 25 to 30 minutes because of the pitch clock. And and you, when you look at what's being eliminated, none of the actual game time, like none of the actual gameplay is, is what's being eliminated. It is the time that pitchers like to walk around the mound and take their time, you know, and quote unquote refocus, whatever it might be. The, the game, like it is successfully speeding up the game, which I think is great news for the MLB, just given the... The nature of what they're trying to do and speeding the game up and um you know it, it's 30 minutes at the end of the world at the end of the day 30 minutes is not like all the time in the world it's not an incredible amount of time but i think that adds up right to, to have a game go two and a half hours like there there have some, been some games this past week i think there was a game that even was that was less than two hours a game that a team won one to zero and the game was less than two hours, right? And so, I think, like, for being honest, like two hours to two hours, two and a half hours is like on a daily basis that commitment of of thirty extra minutes of free time. Like, it on one hand, it's like, yeah, that sounds like a first world thing. Like, oh, if we're gonna watch a baseball game, what's an extra thirty minutes to it? But at the end of the day, it's also an entertainment product. It's an entertainment business, and by you know speeding the games up like this it, it's it's just it is good all across the board like we, we're eliminating all this extra time where pitchers are just you know taking their time um counting the butterflies going by who knows what they're doing outside of just thinking and thinking and and thinking some more but it's like yeah let's just play ball you know and so i i'm a big fan of it and from what i've heard from players and coaches and radio announcers like Everyone else seems to be a big fan of it right now, too. So uh, another interesting thing that I think is happening from this is the the stolen base numbers, uh, the, the stolen base opening day comparison. All right, I'm going to give you these numbers, uh, 2022 compared to 2023. In 2022, there on just on opening day, there were five stolen bases and four that were caught stealing. Okay, that's a 56% success rate. In 2023, okay, there were 21 stolen bases on opening day. Only two were caught stealing for a 91% success rate, all right? Now, you might be asking yourself, self, why does the pitch clock affect the stolen base rate? That's a great question. Uh, here's what I think is, is happening. When, for those of you who played baseball, you, you may have experienced this, but if you're, if you have ever pitched, whether it's a junior high, high school, college level, like part of the the most effective thing you can do to keep a runner held on base is to to wait and not get into a rhythm, right? For example, if you if you're a pitcher and you're on the stretch and and you come set, you take one look over at the runner, look back, and then pitch. If you get in that same routine, the the base runner, a good base runner, is going to figure out your routine. 
And, you know, after a while, once you've done it a handful of times and they feel comfortable with it, they're going to get a great jump on you because they're going to, they're going to know when you're going to pitch to the point they don't have to wait for you to go. It's going to be right when they look up, right before you're about to pitch, they're going to take off and get a great jump and they're going to steal the base. So that being said, what I think is happening is the pitchers are, because of the pitch clock, are not able to sit there and wait as long as they may might want to, right? And and so this is the one area I think you, you might look at and, and see the pitch clock is giving the, the hitting team somewhat of a competitive advantage in that the pitchers don't have the luxury of, you know, sitting there as long as they want to, to look down a runner, look down a runner, look down a runner, step off, try it again, you know. Um, and with that, the, the pitchers are kind of rushed through this process a little bit and they're not able to go through that whole progression. And, and be, so because of that, the base runners were able to take advantage and they had way more steals and at a way more successful rate than they did on opening day last year. Um, and honestly, like, yeah, the pitchers probably don't like that. And I understand why, but the reality is every team has that advantage now, you know, this, it incentivizes having, you know, being aggressive on the bases. Every team has that same, that, that same rule in place. So it, it's not like one specific team has the big time competitive advantage, um, over another. It's a matter of get your fast guys on base and let them steal and let them, put them in position to get stolen bases, you know? And I think if we're being honest, that that should be another good thing for, for major league baseball is that things like stolen bases and, and diving catches and an extra base hits. That's, that's what keeps fans watching, right? Right. Sure. You're going to have your, your lifelong diehard fans that they'll watch the game no matter what. But I think part of our culture of our, instant gratification culture we want to turn on a game and and we want to know or like we want to see something exciting right now right if you did at the nfl or, or when you watch basketball there's a good chance you get that right there's exciting things and athletic dunks and one hand diving catches and all these different things going on in those sports all the time but in baseball you know you could have a pitcher throw a really great game but if the final score is two to nothing like that's that's boring, you know, in a way that like for some people, if, if you're not as familiar with the game, what's not boring is things, things that require athleticism, like stolen bases, diving catches, extra base hits, right? Uh, even to an extent, like doubles and triples in a way might be even more exciting than home runs to some people to be like, oh, they're, they're out there running fast. They, they put the ball in the gap. The, the outfielder has to, has to run and chase the ball down and get it back in rather than like a home run. Sure. It's exciting. But it's also like once the ball lands, it's like that's it. Now everyone just kind of stands around and waits for the the hitter to jog around the bases. Like no, it's not as exciting. So all that to say, this is another component of what the the, the new pitch clock rule brings to the game that I think is great for the excitement of the game and, and ultimately maybe the ratings of the game. Of that, we're going to see more stolen bases. We're going to see more athletic things happening, more excitement in the game, which is which is ultimately what ML, the MLB wants. So um, one week in, and I think the pitch clock has been a big-time success. So, yeah, there that is kind of my uh, my recap of week one of the MLB. And we will revisit this as, we, as the season goes on. But, uh, I mean, as of right now, like I said, it looks like it's working great. 
Um, so it'll be, and hopefully we we get to a point, you know, where it it's just kind of. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for again? It just part of the the routine of like we get to a point where players they don't have to think about it. They're just like, oh, I'm not going to step out of the box for that long, pitcher. Like I, I have, I'm not going to walk around and just take my time. It's just that it eventually becomes the second nature of those players to to keep moving, keep the game rolling, right? Because th- that's just what's going to be good for the sport ultimately. So yeah, there you go. That is all the sports talk for today. There are a lot of different, some new sports, some new angles at you today. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed. And before we get going, I do want to read the office quote of the week. And this one, you know, talking about the stolen bases, it got me thinking about a quote from Dwight who says, I am fast to give you a reference point. I'm somewhere between a snake and a mongoose and a panther. Right? So there you go. There is your office quote of the, of the week coming from Dwight Schrute, one of my personal favorites. And yeah, there we go. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed. Um, sorry for those of you who were counting on me being here last week. I know I should have given a warning of some of some sort to say that I wasn't going to be here. Um, but we're back and looking forward to the next month plus uh, before camp starts of continuing to to talk about sports and we'll we'll be back next week with talking about the masters a little bit talking about baseball what's going on hopefully there's a little bit of nfl news i I know the draft isn't yet but hopefully there's something else to talk about um but we'll see so yeah until that time you guys have a great rest of your day a good rest of your week and go chiefs